Welcome in everyone to another episode, divisional round edition of Double Move Sports, the perfect mix of fantasy and football. As always, I am Steph and I'm here with my best friend Alex. Welcome back everyone. We're happy to be back. Took a little break after the conclusion of the fantasy season, but we are back with some great content today. We got some hot takes baked in and we're looking forward to the rest of this NFL playoffs. Yeah, we're going to hit a lot of topics here on the show today, talk about some of the coaching turnover over the last couple of weeks, been some big news that broke, uh, especially this week, recording today on, on Wednesday and on Monday, two coaches were already hired, so a lot to talk about there. We're going to go through some of the playoff implications, what we saw uh, for going forward, and you know what teams need to have their eyes peeled as they go into the championship round here in week 20 and then to the Super Bowl. It's an exciting playoff time. Now that the Patriots are out, it feels like this thing is officially wide open. Wouldn't you agree? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I saw a stat today that said of the divisional round teams, only one is a repeat from last year. The Chiefs made it this far last year and everyone else is new. So hopefully we're going to see some new teams in their conference championships and playing in the Super Bowl and and get some fresh faces in there. A lot of deserving teams this year. It's going to be great. I love it. I can't wait. And, you know, last week there were a lot of upsets, a lot of games that came down to the wire. We had two overtime games. We're going to break it all down here. Before we go through some of this, I want to plug a few things. Of course, always follow us on Twitter at Double Move Sport. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. We put out film breakdowns there. We try to make it super simple and easy to digest. We call that the Fantasy Film Room. Go and check that out on YouTube. That's Double Move Sports as our channel there. And for the first time ever, Officially on this show, we now have a website. That's right, doublemovesports.com. You can hop in there, see all of our content put together in one nice place. We're going to be doing a lot more with that site going forward. Just going to put out a a foundational level basic website uh, where we can start pointing some of our traffic to and correspondence with you guys. But one thing I want to mention on there, and we'll go ahead and turn this into a segment here, Alex, is... We have our 2020 rankings. I know they're way too early. A lot is going to change from now to when the season starts. And in a lot of my rankings, I didn't even include, um, you know, some of the free agent moves that are going to happen here. This is just based on, hey, at the end of, of 2019, where I felt guys were at. Uh, and Alex, I'm sure you can speak to your rankings a little bit as well, but those are officially on our website. So go on there, check those out. If, if you have any hot takes that you want to give anything, if you think we're dead wrong and you want to call us out, we're down to have the, some, some talks here. And I think we're going to have some here internally between Alex and myself. So Alex, anything to say about your rankings now that they're, they're up and live and out in the world for everybody to see? Yeah, it's, it was really fun to go through and rank some of these players. I know we'll talk about this a little bit on today's show, but some guys right now are really difficult to rank. There's dynasty players right now where your season never ends and you're trying to take gambles on certain players that might have some upside heading into next season. So yeah, it's a great resource. It's really good to have that home landing spot for all of our different socials. And that is our website, doublemovesports.com. And the great thing about these rankings, these are going to be live and updated until your 2020 draft. So those are on the site now. We have the really cool consensus ranking that really um, it evens out where me and Steph might have some differences on players. So, so yeah, it's going to be a, a great way to just track players as we move towards the draft. We'll bake rookies in there after the NFL draft, and, and I'm sure there will be some shakeups through free agency and, and just some minor tweaks along the way. But it's something we're really excited about, um, and we look forward to, to keep updating those and keeping them accurate throughout the offseason. Yeah, can't wait to see how things shake out. So let's talk about a few of those disagreements that we mentioned here. 
let's go through a couple running backs and some wide receivers as those are really the the main ones that we disagreed on the most um, and the first one I want to bring up is Damian Williams I have him ranked in 2020 as the RB 27 so kind of that fringe uh, wide receiver two high-end wide receiver three Alex you have him at 38th overall now is that a little bit of projection in terms of hey somebody else new is going to come in maybe darwin thompson's going to break out or just some uncertainty in that backfield give me a little bit of an explanation of why you have damian williams so low yeah that's exactly what it is i i think 27 your ranking at 27 is is not bad if if you just took the roster they have right now it does look like Lashawn mccoy will leave I, I can't see them re-signing him but I just really think that they're going to bring in some help whether it be in the draft or, or free agency Damian Williams had the opportunity going into this year he did deal with some injuries but he just didn't do enough in my opinion to lock down that job moving forward so so yeah I think they're going to bring in help and, and kind of there's kind of some foresight in that ranking just thinking that um, he's not someone I want to put some stake in as an RB2 heading into next season Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And I, I hear you loud and clear on that one. Certainly if you know the Chiefs go to the draft or maybe Andy Reid comes out and says, hey, we want to get Darwin Thompson more involved, uh, whatever it might be. Maybe they sign a free agent. I heard some rumors of, of some Chiefs fans talking about Austin Eckler. I think he'd be a great fit into that offense as well. Take over the pass catching duties uh, and some duties on the ground, kind of split carries with some of the other guys there um, with you 100 uh, percent. Another one I wanted to talk about, we had this guy 10 spots apart is Nick Chubb. Uh, I have Nick Chubb as the RB6 for 2020. Alex, you have him at the RB16. Yeah, Chubb, it was difficult to rank Chubb, and there's definitely some unpredictability in whether Kareem Hunt is going to be back with the Browns next season. Hunt is an unrestricted free agent. So I think if Hunt comes back, I'll, I'll likely leave Chubb somewhere in that ballpark. We did see the production, especially in the passing game, fall off a little bit. Uh, when Hunt was uh, back from his suspension. But uh, but I do think there's some opportunity for Chubb to move up in my rankings. And looking at it now, having him at 16, I probably do need to bump him up a couple spots. I forget that he was, you know, he was so quietly because the Browns were so bad this year, almost the rushing champ. If Derrick Henry didn't go off for 200-plus yards in Week 17, then Nick Chubb would have been the rushing champ in the NFL. So I don't think I'm giving him enough credit at 16, but – Part of that ranking is Kareem Hunt's uncertain future. But to your point, Steph, I, I just think I could probably bump him up a couple spots, maybe to 12 or 13. Yeah, that's part of the fun of going back and forth on some of these ranks is we're going to see opportunities where maybe we had a guy too high or too low. And that's that's why we have him out there to create these discussion points where we can really dive deeper on some players. And when you have to defend your take, you start to see some of the reasonings and actually will become more clear to you uh, why you feel a certain way about a player. I, I think with the Browns, if they bring in any upgrade over Freddie Kitchens, any upgrade in the play calling, that offense is just going to get better. With Nick Chubb at the RB8 this year, like you said, very close to the rushing title. I see no reason why you shouldn't stay the same, if not go up a tad, uh, you know, unless the rest of the field takes a step up as well. So let's talk about some wide receivers here. Before we switch over to the wide receiver, Steph, speaking of defending takes, as you just alluded to when we were discussing Chubb, one take that I want to defend from my rankings is actually another running back, and it's Patrick Laird. Interesting. I know before the show we were talking, and you might bump him down in your ranks, but I don't have him ranked, and you had him ranked 33. I do expect you to move him down, <laughs> but yes. with Miami, 
Patrick Laird, I just don't think he's going to be featured at all next year. The Dolphins should improve, but he only averaged 2.7 yards per carry in his time. He was splitting carries even when he was getting some game time. So I think Miami is going to draft another running back this year or they're going to sign help. There's no way they're going to go into next year with Patrick Laird and Miles Gaskin as their running backs. Uh, And one funny story about Patrick Laird, he actually has a great story, an undrafted rookie this past season. But in training camp last year, he was eating in the lunchroom, and he actually started talking to a couple of the interns, was was just trying to make small talk, you know, get to know him a little bit. And, and after they had talked about themselves, where they went to school, one of them actually asked Patrick Laird, so so what do you do? They thought, you know, what, what internship department are you in? And he's like, hey, buddy, like, I'm on the team. I'm a running back. I might be an undrafted free agent, fifth on the depth chart. But they literally thought he was an intern. So throughout the season, the Dolphins, players and coaches nicknamed him the intern. And I just don't see the intern getting a lot of time next year. So a great story. He was a walk-on in college and an undrafted rookie who made a little bit of an impact this year. But I just can't see that happening moving forward. Yeah, I saw some folks plugging him in and uh, down the stretch in fantasy lineups, especially in PPR lineups. He was serviceable, uh, especially if you were desperate at RB2. Maybe you had Marlon Mack or David Johnson needed to plug some holes there. Um, yeah, I think that's more of what this this ranking reflects. I'm definitely going to be moving him down. And, and as soon as Miami drafts a guy or signs somebody, I'll be taking Laird off of my rankings because I don't think he'll be in that that top 60 one that needs to be on our radar. Any other running backs that you want to bring up? No more running backs for me. If we are going to go ahead and move into wide receivers, I would like to go ahead and bring up Odell Beckham Jr. I know we might talk about him a little bit later as a guy who's tough to rank, but you have him ranked at 34. I have him ranked at 11. Steph, what can you tell me about your OBJ ranking? Yeah, so Odell Beckham... You know, I'm a Browns fan, obviously. You think I would have him very, very high, and I'm very high on Nick Chubb because I think he's a staple of that offense. There are a few things. One is I don't know what Odell Beckham's future is. It seemed towards the end of this season, and this may have been just media narratives that were popping up that that had no uh, actual concrete evidence in them, but Odell seemed pretty upset. You know, he's a superstar wide receiver. He's a diva wide receiver, and he needs to be treated as such. And when he doesn't get his way, we see him pout a little bit, maybe get into a bad mindset. You see some of the body language towards the end of the season was a little bit rough. Now, anybody that they bring in into that offense that is a better play caller uh, than Freddie Kitchens or Todd Munkin, you know, if they bring Josh McDaniels, which is uh, what we'll talk about some of the Browns coaching candidates here in a moment. For me, you know, Odell Beckham, he was the wide receiver 25 this year, so not even a wide receiver receiver one or two I probably do need to move him up I mean it's it's freaking OBJ I mean he's he's one of the best um, many would argue just two years ago that he is the best wide receiver in the NFL so yeah I probably do need to move him up uh, I'm just so down on him from this year uh, what a lot of people don't know is actually in terms of targets on the season Odell Beckham I believe is in like the top five let me actually spot check this real quick yeah so Odell Beckham was 12th this year amongst all wide receivers in the NFL in targets. That's what wow. a lot of people don't know. I mean, he's right up there with uh, Devontae Parker, who had a huge year. Uh, Cortland Sutton, who who broke out a little bit. A little bit behind Robert Woods, a guy who had a huge stretch of games. By targets alone, he should be a wide receiver one or two. I don't know. It's just a little bit difficult. And yeah, like you said, Odell, really tough guy to evaluate this year. I think we'll know more once we know who the Browns head coach and GM is uh, going into 2020. Now, looking at some other wide receivers here that we disagreed on in our rankings, 
One of the ones with one of the largest gaps and another really difficult guy to grade this year was Adam Thielen. You know, with some of the injuries that he had in 2019, I feel like this ranking that, that you have, Alex, you have him at 25. So right where I had Odell, right outside that wide receiver two range, is Adam Thielen. Now that we see him healthy, he had a great game. I feel like no one's really talking about Adam Thielen uh, in that game against the Saints. He was fantastic. Uh, but tell me why you have him as low as you do. Adam Thielen, he is another guy that's difficult to rank. And, and as you talk, I, I just think about two seasons ago when through eight or nine games, he was on pace to break that single season catch record. He was absolutely on a tear. The back half of that season, though, two years ago in, in fantasy playoff time, really left a bad taste in owners' mouths heading into this year. But he was still drafted very high and had a lot of expectations. But then going into this season, the injuries were a concern. We saw the Vikings take a stance where they're going to be an extremely run-heavy offense. And there's two big mouths to feed there in Thielen and Diggs. And Thielen did prove that he is healthy again. He had a great game in the playoffs, and that definitely instilled some confidence in in me and what I think of him for next season. I I might move him up um, a spot or two, but I I don't think he's – quite in my in my top 20 yet but I might bump them up a little bit closer there's just some young guys that I'm really excited about uh, the Devontae Parkers of the world the AJ Browns of the world guys that that broke out at the back half of the season that I think might be kind of taking over at the wide receiver spot so I, I think you're right I think Thielen I, I probably do have a little bit too low but there's a lot of high upside guys that I, I'm just not willing to move him in front of right now hey I hear you loud and clear with that one I mean Thielen uh in his This looks like his first real full healthy game back. He caught seven of nine targets for 129 yards. So you like that there. That's kind of back to that level that we saw him at uh, earlier uh, last season when he was hitting 100 uh, 100 receiving yards a game. So yeah, I'm with you. I I think he is back. I have him as the wide receiver 14. And to some of those points that you made, I do think I might need to bring him down just a little bit. Just one more on my list, and it's Michael Gallup. I see. I, I know we did talk about him a little bit before the show. You currently have him at 42. I have him Yeah, at that's tw- way too low. I'm definitely going to be moving him up. I have him at 21. He, he was the wide receiver 17 this season based on points per game. And, and with Amari Cooper's uncertain future, Michael Gallup could be. There is a realistic possibility that Michael Gallup becomes the – wide receiver one in an offense that was second in passing yards this past season so even with Amari Cooper there I think Gallup still has top 24 value for sure if Amari Cooper ends up leaving he's he's probably the guy that's going to move up into my top 16 range uh, at the wide receiver spot absolutely I I love Michael Gallup I will 100% 100% me moving him into wide receiver two range just some of the way that things broke out and this is part of the hard part of rankings is you know when you move somebody down you got to move a bunch of guys up and vice versa so you know you can literally stare at, at your rankings all day long and continually make adjustments that's definitely one that I need to change I believe Michael Gallup is due for a breakout year especially if Cooper does not get re-signed he ticks all the boxes he saw a huge uptick's uptick in targets this year we saw Dak really rely on his arm which was a huge benefit to Gallup and he weighs over 200 pounds he's uh, had one of the highest in air yards this season so absolutely I'm I'm in on Michael Gallup I think he could be due for a huge breakout uh, in 2020. Now, moving away from the rankings here, let's get into recapping some of the games from wildcard weekend there's a lot to take away here yeah, one of the things we'll try to hit on in every game is what are the, is the takeaway for the losing team? Since we'll have plenty of time uh, as we're talking about uh, the divisional round games coming up, 
We'll talk more about those teams, but let's talk about some of the losing teams, some of the takeaways from that game, things that you did or didn't like from those offenses and defenses. Alex, I'll have you go first in talking about the Bills at the Texans. It was an overtime loss for the Bills. Came down to the wire, and that last five minutes was just so sloppy. This game was <laughs> was a heart attack. I was watching this game with a Bills fan, and he was losing his mind. At halftime, he said, you know, we're up 16 nothing, and I'm talking about going and playing on the road in the next round. And before you know it, boom, the Texans are back in the game. So on the Bills' side, I think this was more of the Bills losing the game. I mean, the Texans, I don't want to take anything away from them. They had a great comeback in this game. It was at home. J.J. Watt definitely gave them a lift, and it's nothing to be – um, it's nothing to be looked down upon, but the Bills, they kicked four field goals. And if you're in a playoff game on the road in Houston, which is an offense that you know can score, you've got to capitalize on some touchdowns. So that's the biggest takeaway for me. Uh, the Bills just couldn't get into the end zone in this game. And Josh Allen, we definitely saw some uh, mistakes as a young player in this game. There was the one play where he broke out for a huge run and it looked like he tried to lateral the ball to a guy when there was absolutely no need to do so. Just some some mind-boggling stuff that Josh Allen did, but I think this Bills team has some potential. With Josh Allen at QB, he took some huge strides forward this season. Singletary looks like the real deal. John Brown and Cole Beasley were great signings. I think they might need a wide receiver one, but the Bills have a really bright future. And then on the Texan side, I think it was a good comeback. I don't, quite frankly, I don't think the Texans have much of a shot against Kansas City. I know we're going to talk about that game a little bit later, but it really looks like they lack an identity as a team. There's just not a lot to get excited about. Their offense is sporadic. Their run game doesn't have much going for it. Their 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 defense is letting teams drive all over them. I know in this game they were able to to hold the Bills to those field goals, but the Bills were getting a ton of yards in this game. And if I'm the Texans fan, I'm a bit worried. I think they still are a couple pieces away from being contenders in the AFC. Yeah, if I have to watch Deshaun Watson scramble out, run all the way to the, the sideline for a one-yard gain one more time, <laughs> I think I'm going to freak out a little bit. But, no, I, I mean, there was a lot of encouraging takeaways, I think, on both sides of the ball. You know, I saw some some people on Twitter roasting Josh Allen, and you know, I, I don't think any of roasting for him is deserved. He took huge strides this season. If I'm the Bill, if I'm a Bills fan, I feel very confident plugging him in for next year and, and going forward, really making him our franchise guy. You know, he's prone to mistakes. We knew that coming in. Uh, he showed a lot of that in his rookie season. And we saw, you know, he, hey, he finally got on a big stage uh, and the lights were on and he did make some mistakes. But that's that's part of the game. That's part of becoming a great football player is you have to go through some of those downtimes and difficult times and learn from those mistakes. Uh, one thing I really did like from the Bills as a fantasy takeaway was just how good Devon Singletary looked. I mean, he had six uh, for 76 through the air uh, on the ground. He had 13 attempts for 58 yards. Overall, I think very positive. I love the way they're using him kind of in that, you know, what we saw from the Rams uh, the year they went to the Super Bowl, which is, you know, those checkdowns, those design screenplays, that kind of the Todd Gurley epitome play. They were running those for Devin Singletary and getting a lot of mileage out of that. So I liked that a lot, um, and I will be eyeing Singletary in 2020 drafts. Uh, but overall, uh, good one for the Texans. Good luck to <laughs> the Bills going forward. This will be an interesting offseason for them to, to kind of shore up some of the holes that they had. I thought their defense may have underperformed just a tad, uh, but then again, the Texans are one of the best. Let's talk about the big upset, the one that everyone's probably talking about, which is the Titans coming into Foxborough 
and upsetting the Patriots. I had the game on my phone for some reason at, at whatever bar we were at. Uh, did not have the game on, so I pulled it up and I had a whole crowd. They need to go out of business. Wow. <laughs> I know. It was a, it was a travesty. Um, so I had the game up and had the whole bar kind of gathered around watching this game come down to the wire, screaming and jumping up and down. It was just a heck of a game. So fun to watch. I thought it was a Mike Vrabel statement game. You know, he, he's built to be a head coach. Alex, what were your takeaways? Yeah, to the Mike Vrabel point, when I don't know if you saw in the fourth quarter when he used that little loophole Brilliant. in the NFL rulebook <laughs> to run an extra minute, minute and a half off the clock, Belichick was absolutely losing his mind. It's funny because Belichick's done that to several teams this season, so it's kind of like what goes around comes around. Uh, that Belichick coaching tree definitely coming back to bite him, knowing that Vrabel played for Belichick for many years. But, but yeah, I think this – we say it every year, but this really feels like the end of the Patriots dynasty. They struggled in the entire back half of the season, lost a wild card playoff game at home. Brady might not even be back next year. And, and on the Titans side, their running game looks incredibly strong. They actually ran the ball 40 times in this game and only passed it 16 times. So maybe that was just because it was the blueprint to beat New England. But I felt like every time Derrick Henry got the ball, he got seven or eight yards. And if you're giving up seven or eight yards on first down runs, second down runs, giving up first downs, like you're going to lose that game just about every time. So I'm interested to see how the Titans compete against the Ravens. Uh, the Patriots were sixth against the run, though, and, and the Titans were able to dominate. The Ravens are fifth against the run, so it's going to be another big test. I expect um, I expect a, a lot of running in that game at the bank. But, but, yeah, the Titans look solid. Tannehill, if they want to have any chance at beating Baltimore, needs to step up. He did not – I mean, he didn't need to, but he really did not do much in this game. And then on the Pat side, Steph, I don't really know who their quarterback is going to be next season. Do you have any idea? Yeah, I'm not I'm not reading into the Brady narratives quite yet. I think the Pats upgrade some of their wide receivers and Belichick fig- figures out this run game for them. I- I'm not buying into the Brady narratives. He's just too ingrained into the Patriots franchise until there's something serious on the table. You know, we haven't even heard of any teams, um, you know, super, super interested to him. Obviously, you know, he's, he was still playing up until last week. So maybe that's just you know, not the right timing for that. Uh, but uh, no, nah, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to withhold uh, some of those projections on where Brady's going to go or what his future is. But one takeaway I did have for the, from the Pats and, and it's a guy that I think deserves a lot of credit and will probably be a head coach uh, next year, if not the year after, as long as their defense keep holding, keeps on holding, which is Steve Belichick. Uh, you know, their offense, we saw them kind of get exposed in this game and kind of all season long, we saw them lose whenever they would face these explosive offenses. They lost to the Texans. They lost to the Ravens. They lost to the Chiefs this year. And I think that's more of a testament to how much their offense struggled because their defense was keeping them in games. They're one of the 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 you know worst matchups. Uh, if I'm one of their opponents, like I do not want to play the Patriots uh, defense uh, for my offense, no matter who it was. So you know, kind of we saw like their defense kind of got them to where they were in the year. Uh, they had a really easy schedule up front and, and all those things you know, that we thought and, and the narratives that were made turned out, I, I think, being correct. Um, but a lot of credit to that defense uh, was really the, the anchor of the entire Patriots this year. Let's talk about another game that went into overtime. Man, this may have been an even bigger upset than the Patriots, which is the Vikings coming into the Dome in New Orleans and beating the Saints in overtime. It felt like the Saints kind of blew this one. Yeah, this one, I mean, in Vegas, this was a bigger upset, and it felt like leading up to the weekend, a lot of people 
started to get the sense that the Titans could beat the Patriots, but I don't think anyone expected the Vikings to beat the Saints except the Vikings. This one was the most shocking game to me, but the Vikings actually looked very well-rounded. Kirk Cousins played well. Thielen played well. The running game was working. And then on the Saints' side, they just looked sloppy. They, I, I remember in the second half, it felt like they had – three three and outs in a row they just could not get anything going offensively some of the play calling was a bit suspect but if I'm a Saints fan I'm pretty disappointed in the way Drew Brees played he really could not get anything going and if I'm a Saints fan I might be considering switching allegiances because their last three seasons have just been absolutely brutal three seasons ago was the Minneapolis the Minneapolis miracle the next season was that pass interference no call on the LA Rams that uh, cost the Saints from winning that game they ended up losing in overtime and then this year they go into overtime lose the coin toss and there's what looks like might be a pass interference call on or a pass interference push off on Kyle Rudolph in the end zone no call and the Saints lose again so they have gotten their heart tripped out three seasons in a row I'm not, I mean, I think Breeze will stick around another year or two, but I'm really disappointed in him. Uh, and then on the Vikings side, I don't think they have much of a chance to beat the 49ers. The 49ers defense has been awesome. But then again, this is an underdog team. And, and time and time again, we have seen underdogs uh, come out of the wildcard game to go on and win a Super Bowl. I remember the Ravens doing it several years back, actually going through Denver and beating Manning, going through New England and beating Brady. So it's not impossible for the Vikings. And, and they really looked good in this one. Yeah, Kirk Cousins played very, very well. I, I you know, thought this was a huge game for him. This was that, uh, you know, the narrative of the the primetime Kirk Cousins always drops the ball. Well, he actually he came to play uh, on Sunday. You know, when that offense is firing on cylinders, I think it's it's pretty scary. I mean, we have a healthy Thielen back who had a fantastic game. We already talked about him. Dalvin Cook was far and away the best running back who played in the wild card weekend. And the Vikings flow of their offense is so interesting because they can change drive to drive. They may get hot with with Thielen for a drive. They may, uh, you know, give you a death by a thousand cuts by just running it up the middle with with Dalvin Cook four times and then taking a bomb to Stephon Diggs. They just they have so many options, and when they're clicking, uh, I don't think there's many teams that can stop them. I mean, I guess if there is any team that can stop them, it's probably San Francisco. Uh, but will be interesting for them and man Drew Brees I feel bad I don't want to say anything bad about him and what's funny is is he had a 79% completion percentage in this game it's not like he played bad he was 26 for 33 a little over 200 yards had a touchdown and it's just showing that these days you need a little bit more firepower to be one of these elite quarterbacks a playoff winning quarterback you got to have that explosive element that we see from Mahomes Lamar Jackson Deshaun Watson uh, even Aaron Rodgers still has some of that it just felt like where was kind of the the explosiveness on that offense especially through the air and when Michael Thomas is in double coverage every single time when you drop back there's got to be other options there so uh, if I'm the Saints, I'm giving Breeze, you know, one more kind of you know final lap. We'll try to get there one or two more times, uh, and then let him go and move on. Let, let him retire in New Orleans. He's just been such a a saint <laughs> for that team for so long and in that city. So let him retire a legend, move on. Um, and let's talk about the last game here. This one, there's really not too much to say about it. I think it kind of went how everybody expected. Of course, uh, the Seahawks going into. Philadelphia and beating the Eagles. Carson Wentz went out early on a questionable hit from Jadavion Clowney. 
But the Eagles were just brutal to watch. They had Josh McCown starting at quarterback. Um, probably the biggest takeaway for me in this game was DK Metcalf. Yeah, DK Metcalf looked extremely explosive. But you said it. Everyone kind of expected this. The Eagles have been battling injuries all season long. And when Wentz went out in this game, I'm going to be honest with you, I went and watched one of the Star Wars movies and then came back and watched the end because I knew Josh McCown was just not going to be able to get it done. Fortunately, I was able to go in on NFL Game Pass, and I rewatched the entire game afterwards to, to find out anything I missed. And it looks like the only thing I really missed was DK Metcalf because he looked awesome in this game. Part of it, maybe it's the Eagles secondary, but uh, you know DK Metcalf just looked like a true wide receiver one. He looked like he had a little bit of A.J. Brown in him, kind of that big explosive body type, do- doing more than just running go routes. Uh, down the field so for me I mean I feel bad for the Eagles I kind of question whether Carson Wentz is their future honestly just because he's been so injury prone I have no doubt that he can get it done when he's healthy but he's got to stay healthy for them to have any chance and I just don't know if he's going to be able to do it but yeah I think the Seahawks actually uh, have a decent shot here this weekend we'll get into this weekend's games uh, here in a moment but Seattle looked looked pretty solid I know they only won by eight points against a 40 year old backup quarterback but we know they've got Russell Wilson, who's got the experience to get him there. Marshawn Lynch is back. Metcalf is looking great. Tyler Lockett's been great all year. They've got a couple pieces on defense that can make plays. So I think the Seahawks are a threat. But, but yeah, I, I just feel bad for the Eagles. And, and I have no doubt they'll be back next year, but they just got to stay healthy. Yeah, staying healthy will be a major, major point for them. They had so many injuries this year and even had, you know, Zach Ertz playing with a lacerated kidney and a broken rib. I felt so bad for the guy every time he would get taken to the ground. Uh, I will say Miles Sanders looked good. Um, I, I think his dynasty stock is rising and his redraft stock is rising even more. I've heard some rumors lately that Jordan Howard is going to be leaving. He may be signed by the Bills, which I like as a, as a landing spot for him. Uh, kind of take over that Frank Gore role for that offense. You know, so on the Eagles, uh, on the Seahawks side, I think the Seahawks are a team that's extremely underrated. You know, they were fighting neck and neck in their division with the 49ers and barely missed a bye week uh, by essentially a game uh, that that was with the 49ers. So I put them at about the same level, but man, what more can you say about Russell Wilson? It's like, yes, Lamar Jackson is my MVP for what he's done this year. It's been a historic season, but if we had to actually look at the term of most valuable player I mean you put any quarterback on that team that's not Russell Wilson I think very very few if any guys could keep this team where they're at just with their play alone so Russell Wilson for me has just been been such a standout um, and just love supporting a guy he's he's kind of the uh, poster boy for the league and definitely for Seattle now moving on here let's talk about some of the upcoming games and get into a little bit of fantasy takes. This is our our week 19 of the fantasy season uh, predictions and analysis. You know, we're going to go through essentially a playoff simulation. For those of you that listened to the podcast last week, I had a guest on the show and we went through essentially every game players that we liked based on different scenarios to really help you in some of these formats. Uh, All these playoff challenges, we're doing one. Uh, Shout out to Rob Norton for hosting the league that Alex and I are playing in. Uh, We did okay in this first week. Alex, can you walk us through that lineup real quick? Yes, at quarterback, we had Drew Brees, who was our most disappointing player of the week, just covered him a little bit. Um, And then at running back, we had Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. So we nailed that, had the two highest scoring running backs of the week. 
Unfortunately for us, though, this is in a, a survivor style um, of format. So once you use a player once, you cannot use them again. We played Cook and Henry with the thought that they were probably going to lose, and they both won. So now we might be down running back, so that's uh, going to be interesting to see what we decide to do there. But then a wide receiver, we had Julian Edelman, who had a decent game. He did have the, the rushing touchdown, but only had three catches for 30 yards. So we were a bit disappointed there. We went ahead and, and stacked Michael Thomas with Drew Brees and, and kind of thinking, hey, let's let's use them now, get the big points while we have the chance. And Michael Thomas had a very pedestrian game. So the Drew Brees-Michael Thomas stack didn't quite work out for us, but turns out we're not going to have to save him for later because we can't. And then we had Jared Cook at tight end who turned in a decent game. He had about 10 fantasy points. And then our defense was the Patriots. Yeah, Jared Cook was the tight end three in, in PPR scoring, which which we're in here. He had 10.4 fantasy points, so certainly not a, a bad outing from him going forward. We'll have some interesting decisions to make. Let's start breaking them down here. So what we're going to do is go game by game, starting with Week 19's divisional round, and talk about players that we like in that in that game, who we're going to use, what are some guys that maybe we're saving for later in a, a survivor type of format where we can't reuse a player that we've already used so we'll kind of get into some of those scenarios as well I think the first one that we should talk about here is the Titans going to Baltimore and playing the Ravens I think both of us have the Ravens winning this game but that means you know if if Derrick Henry's still out there do you mind plugging him in uh, in a week 19 lineup oh yeah if I if I didn't use Derrick Henry last week I think he's a smash play this week we saw what he can do. It looks like the Titans are going to be extremely run heavy, try to slow the game down. I expect them to use that same kind of mindset against the Ravens. The Ravens are 10-point favorites. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's going to be run heavy on both sides. And I'd, I'd really be willing to play Henry um, or A.J. Brown in this game. Probably not Tannehill. I don't know that he's going to do enough. But I think A.J. Brown could have a big play or two that makes both him and Henry good plays if the Titans lose. Yeah, we're certainly both projecting that. You know, Tannehill is up against a very difficult matchup. The Ravens are number two against the quarterback position this year. And after that game we saw last week against the Patriots, they really didn't need him. You know, there's only threw the ball 16 times. I feel like Marcus Mariota could have won them that game. Um, <laughs> probably couldn't have gotten them there, though. So outside of the Titans, are there any Ravens that you're willing to plug into lineups? Or is that a team that we're going to save, keep Lamar for uh, maybe Super Bowl or, or uh, championship week here in week 20 or 21? I think you've got to save Lamar. I think it maybe you can play Mark Andrews in this one, um, just depending on what you have happening with Kittle on the NFC side. And then you've also got Kelsey, who's a great play, potentially in the AFC championship. Uh, so maybe you can play Mark Andrews. I'm definitely saving Lamar Jackson in this one uh, for either the AFC championship or potentially the Super Bowl. But one guy that I think is a smash play, if Mark Ingram is out, is Gus Edwards. If Mark Ingram misses this game, Gus Edwards is a free ticket at running back. We've seen what he can do, had over 100 yards in week 17 when the Ravens rested their starters. So if Mark Ingram misses, you're getting a free running back play here in Gus Edwards because you're basically getting Mark Ingram twice. I know Ingram's clearly the more talented back, hence why he's the starter, but Edwards should have a very good game if Ingram is out. And if that happens, that could actually save us, Steph, because I know we did burn a couple running backs that are still still active. So, so yeah, I think Gus Edwards is fine. But everyone else on the Ravens side, other than maybe Andrews, I'm trying to save. Yeah, I'm with you there 100%. One guy, certainly Gus Edwards, is on the radar 
especially if Mark Ingram is out. I would not mind burning him here. But if you're very gung-ho on the Ravens making it to the Super Bowl, maybe you want to stack Mark Ingram or maybe Mark Ingram gets re-injured and you want to save Gus Edwards. I also don't mind Justice Hill here as a flex uh, if Mark Ingram is out. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, but outside of the guys that we've talked about, you know, are you are you touching Hollywood Brown in this game? I know you mentioned Mark Andrews. I'm, I'm banking Mark Andrews personally. I think there's a lot of better options out there this week. Uh, anything else from Titans Ravens? No, I think there's too many other good, consistent receiver options than Hollywood Brown at this point. Maybe later on in the playoffs, you throw Hollywood out there as a bit of a contrarian play. Maybe you're behind and you don't think he's going to be rostered by a lot of other teams in your pool or your league or whatever. So maybe you can throw him out there and hope he gets a couple deep balls. We've seen him have some pretty big games this year. But other than that, uh, no, I, I think we've covered it here. The other game on the AFC, the Texans, they're going into Arrowhead. Last time these two teams played, the Texans actually won on the road. So we've seen them do it before, but I think this Chiefs team is a is a much better and different team than the one that we saw earlier. So I have the Chiefs, Chiefs winning this one. I'm going to save most of their guys for next week. Uh, but are there any pieces on the Texans side that you're willing to plug in? I have DeAndre Hopkins as the number two ranked uh, wide receiver this week. Absolutely. I am. I, I'm almost definitely playing DeAndre Hopkins this week. This is a 51 point over under. So it does have shootout potential. And I really do expect the Texans to lose. The Chiefs are 10 point favorites. It's in Kansas City. I expect the Chiefs to score points. So I think on the Texans side, they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. I know the Chiefs have been pretty good against wide receivers this season uh, on the defensive side of the ball. But Hopkins is an awesome talent. We saw him get shut down by Tredavious White last week in the first half, and he still ended up with like six for 90. So I think Hopkins has a really high floor and, and obviously has two touchdown potential in this game. So I think Hopkins is a lock if you haven't used him yet. And I think Deshaun Watson's a guy you can play at quarterback. Uh, if you want a quarterback that has a good rushing baseline, the Texans could easily score 24, 28 points in this game and lose. So I like both of those guys. I'm with you. I, I think the Chiefs are, like we said earlier, just, just better to save at this point. Maybe you roll out Kelsey in a pretty good matchup because there are some other good tight ends available. Uh, but yeah, I think Watkins and Hot or Watson and Hopkins are great plays in this game. So we're not looking to start any Chiefs here. We're gonna keep saving those guys. Let's talk about Vikings at 49ers. Minnesota's going into San Francisco. I think we're gonna bank the 49ers here. So what Vikings guys are you starting? I love Thielen this week. Um, I really like Diggs as a DFS play or maybe a flex. Um I also like Devo Samuel, but I'm going to save him. Uh, who are you starting on the Viking side of the ball in a survivor pool type of format? If I didn't play Cook last week, you got to play Dalvin Cook. And then I think I think both Diggs and Thielen are options. Based on what we saw last week, I think I do lean Thielen. Diggs has missed practice the last two days with an illness. So, he. I mean, we saw him be a diva a little bit early on in the season skipping practice. So, I don't know if his illness is just a way that he's – voicing his frustration about his low usage last week but I'm not trying to to mess with that if I can um, prevent it and I think you don't really have to if you don't want to so I'm fine with Thielen this week uh, and then and then Cook is a lock if you haven't started him so on the 49er side of the ball like we talked about earlier there are some tight ends um, still left that, that have that have really high upside in Andrews and Kelsey and then on the 49ers you got Kittle so I think if you want to go ahead and roll out Kittle it's fine 
but but other than that, I'm with you. I'm trying to save the 49ers for a little bit later on. Now the last game in this week 19 round, this is the one that everybody's talking about and one I have circled as a potential upset here are the Seattle Seahawks going into Green Bay. Seahawks kind of had a soft matchup or like a you know, pseudo bye week before they played the Packers here, just beating up on the Eagles. I'm starting Aaron Jones. He's like an anchor to me this week. No question I'm putting Aaron Jones into my running back spot. If he puts up monster numbers this week and then he's out, I want to make sure I get those points before he's gone. So I'm kind of taking Aaron Jones on the principle of opportunity cost. Uh, the Seahawks are 20th against running backs in fantasy. So I like the matchup as well. I think there'll be plenty of goal line work. I think this game will come down to the wire, uh, but I do think the Seahawks will take it. Alex, who do you have in this game and, and what players do you like in a fantasy lineup? I originally actually had the Packers to go to the Super Bowl, but the more I looked at last week's game and watched back some of the film and then looked at some of the the games to close out the season and just how these teams are trending and how they like to play and things like that I actually switched my take and I have the Seahawks winning this one I think the Packers are a very strong team but they have shown some points of weakness and then I just think that Russell Wilson is going to get the job done in Green Bay the Seahawks Looked pretty strong last week against the Eagles. I think in this game, like you said, as far as as far as fantasy goes, Aaron Jones is a lock. I think you can highly consider playing Devontae Adams in this one. I'm not as confident in Seattle winning as I am in any of the other games, quite frankly. So maybe you save Adams for just in case if the Packers win. I think it's going to be a good game. Vegas actually has the Packers favored by four points. So I think Adams is an option. And on the Seahawks side of the ball, I'm probably staying away from their running backs right now, but I think you can play either Lockett or Metcalf. And the upside there is Lockett and Metcalf have kind of been like a 1A, 1B type of situation for the back half of the season. And then the game last week, we saw Metcalf break out. But you can pick one of those guys and hope you pick the right one this week. And then if the Seahawks do win, you have another one to play next week. So that's kind of how I'm looking at this game. But but I'm with you, Steph. I have the Seahawks to win. And I think there's several really good options uh, in this game from a fantasy perspective. So we've gone through all the games. Let's go through that lineup real quick from Week 19, who we like. So at quarterback, we like Deshaun Watson. Uh, and I'll throw Russell Wilson out there. I know I didn't mention him just a second ago. We were talking about the Seahawks, but that's another one. If, if you're feeling very confident about the Packers winning this game, uh, I I don't have the spread pulled up right here. How much are the Packers favored? They're favored by four points, and it's a 46.5 over-under. Yeah, so pretty close game there. I'm okay with Russell Wilson this week if you want to use him. On the flip side of that, you could do Aaron Rodgers, but I do think he is a bit of a trap. Alex, who are you taking at quarterback between – uh, Watson or Wilson? I like Deshaun Watson. Okay, so we're rolling him out. Running back, we said Aaron Jones. At running back two, we could do Gus Edwards. Um, I don't mind Marshawn Lynch as well if you feel like the, the Seahawks are going to lose this one. Uh, other options at RB2 would be you know, Justice Hill. Um, it feels like pretty limited at running back here if you've already used Cook and Henry. Uh, any others that you want to mention? I mean, in this instance, I think we have to go ahead and lock in Gus Edwards as as our plan if Ingram doesn't play. But we do need to have a backup plan in case Ingram misses. So in that case, I think maybe you do uh, go Marshawn Lynch or maybe even Damian Williams for the Chiefs. Yeah, I actually don't mind Damian Williams at all this week. There's going to be uh, some interesting options in next week, which we'll talk about here in a second. But certainly, I, I actually don't mind Damian Williams. I know we didn't mention him at the time. 
Uh, at tight end, or I'm sorry, let me go to wide receiver first. We said Hopkins. You could go Adams or Thielen. I'm taking Thielen there. And then at tight end, I like Travis Kelsey. If you want to go you know, upside this week and go ahead and burn the Chiefs. What do you think about an option like Darren Fells? I don't think there's any reason to go Darren Fells. I think you still, I mean, there's three weeks left. There's really three top tier tight ends left. You've got um, Kittle, Kelsey, and Mark Andrews. I, I mean, over Darren Fells, I'd honestly maybe even lean Kyle Rudolph for the Vikings. I, I'm trying to stay away. I'm trying to plan this. Area. Maybe even Jacob Hollister for the Seahawks. I, I just think there's too many options to go for a guy like Fels. He's probably five or six on my list. Just don't need that many guys at this point. So uh, I actually like um, I actually like George Kittle this week at tight end. I think that the 49ers are, are going to have to to air it out a little bit against the Vikings. The Vikings have been much better against the run than the past this year, and I think it's a great week to use Kittle. If not Kittle, probably Kelsey. But, Steph, what do you think? Who should we go with? Yeah, I'm leaning Kelsey on this one. I'm just so confident that the 49ers are going to be moving on uh, that I want to save Kittle for for one more week and, and hedge a little bit more. Uh, later on, I threw Felsa there because he has one of the best matchups, uh, if not the best matchup amongst all tight ends uh, in the Chiefs, who are 26th against the tight end position. We know this is going to be a high scoring game. We already talked about the over under. Um, we saw Darren Fells actually have a pretty decent game against the Bills. He had five targets for four receptions and 34 yards. At PPR, I mean, that puts him at the tight end five when we had, uh, you know, Dallas Goddard still in the mix. Jared Cook was still in the mix and a couple other guys. There's really not a standout at tight end, honestly, amongst Kelsey or Kittle. So that's why I'm going kind of a step deeper here. Uh, I'll take Fells personally over Hollister just because of of the game script uh, and the reliance, you know, the Seahawks have those other wide receivers that are going to eat up those targets. I don't know. I feel like Fells kind of gets funneled to when when Will Fuller's out um, and Kenny Stills doesn't scare me too much in terms of his target share. So let's go ahead and move over to week 20 here. We're projecting that the Chiefs are going to play the Ravens in Baltimore and that the Seattle Seahawks, man, the game of the year feels like or the matchup of the year, Seattle playing the 49ers in San Francisco in week 20. So let's go through Chiefs-Ravens first. I think this is going to be a thriller of a game. It's going to come down to the wire. It's going to be very high scoring. It's going to be really interesting how both of these offenses manage. I'm still taking the Ravens in this one. Are you? I am. I mean, I know we're a little bit biased because we're both big Lamar Jackson fans, but it's hard to pick against the Ravens at this point. They were so dominant all season long. One of those two losses was to the Chiefs, but I think at home – uh, just the way they, they finished out the year. They're playing great. They've had a couple weeks now to rest up some of those starters. So I do have the Ravens to make it to the Super Bowl. So by all accords, that means week 20, championship weekend, is your Chiefs weekend. So you're plugging in Matt, uh, Pat Mahomes at QB. We're plugging in Damian Williams if we haven't used him already. I'm plugging in Kelsey if I haven't used him already. Uh, what do you see in Tyreek Hill in week 20? Week 20, I would love to stack Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. I think even if they do lose to the Ravens, that there's always the shot that Patrick Mahomes throws you know, two deep balls to Tyreek Hill. He's clearly the number one receiver there, has the deep ball potential, has the upside. So I love it. I think even if they lose, then they're, gonna, they're always going to put up points. That could be a very high-scoring game. The Ravens were the highest-scoring team in the league this year. We all know what the Chiefs can do. So, yeah, pa- Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill are locks for me in this one. If you're going to beat the Ravens, 
Looks like it's going to be through the air, even though they have Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters, which are pretty scary corners. Uh, they're eighth against running backs and 15th against wide receivers. Now, if you're a Chiefs fan, you think they're going to make it. Are you doing the opposite here? Are you plugging in all your Ravens? Yeah, if, I, if I'm if i sitting here and I truly believe that the Chiefs are going to make it, I'd go with the Ravens. But, you know, it, it all comes to these competitions, this type of fantasy where you're picking players and you can't pick them again. It really all comes down to who you think is going to be in the Super Bowl. Because if you get to Super Bowl week and you've already used everybody on that team, then you're you're throwing out like – Willie Sneed and and Justice Hill and and all backups like that. So so really the first thing you got to do is really break down who you think is going to be there and then from there you can kind of build out your rosters like we're doing. So we're banking the the Ravens in week 20. Now let's talk about the Seahawks going into San Francisco and playing the 49ers. Who are you taking in this game? Are you, are you saving those 49ers for the Super Bowl? I think you got to expect the 49ers to win this matchup in San Francisco. So, yeah, I would like to save a couple of those 49ers. Um, I wouldn't mind playing George Kittle in this one. I know we could potentially be saving Mark Andrews for that Super Bowl game on the Ravens side and have that Lamar Jackson-Andrews stack. So I think Kittle in this one would be pretty much a lock. Yes, you're picking between – Kittle and Kelsey, whichever one you haven't used, saved Mark Andrews, or honestly, whichever tight end that is still left on the Ravens. I think Mark Andrews did actually miss practice today, which is Wednesday, so still has plenty of time. Doesn't seem to be anything too, too serious, uh, but just keep an eye on that. So we know that the Ravens are going to use the tight end. We have some more options on that roster than we do. Uh, so in week 20, yeah, I'm, I'm plugging Kittle in there. I'm plugging Kelsey if I haven't used him at tight end. We already said we're doing Tyreek Hill here. What about on the Seahawks side? What if you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett? Which one are you throwing in? I actually lean Tyler Lockett here. He's just been uh, the number one receiver for a bigger chunk of the year. I know DKF, DKF <laughs> Metcalf has the breakout potential, but we've seen it from Tyler Lockett as well. He's got a really good rapport with Russell Wilson for several seasons now. So I actually don't mind throwing in Lockett here. And then if the Seahawks do pull the upset, you have DK Metcalf to use in the Super Bowl. So like I said uh, about the Seahawks last round, the great thing about their receivers are it's kind of a 1A, 1B type situation. So you just pick your guy this week. And then if they do pull out the win, you have the other one for the next week. So I would lock in Tyler Lockett. And then at running back, I I think we've got to consider Marshawn Lynch here. We're kind of out of options. And I know we'd be saving Ingram for the Super Bowl and potentially Raheem Mostert. So I think Lynch is a lock here as well. I hear you there. Yeah, we're taking Ravens 49ers in that Super Bowl. So going to try to bank those players. Uh, Let's kind of go through it one more time and recap. So at quarterback, we love Pat Mahomes. Uh, Certainly, if you think that the Chiefs are going to be in the Super Bowl, then you could throw in Lamar Jackson here. Outside of that, at running back, we have Aaron Jones, if you haven't used him. Um, Marshawn Lynch, if you haven't. uh, uh, So one guy we didn't mention, Damian Williams. If you didn't use him in week 19, I love throwing Damian Williams in. Uh, against the Ravens in week 20. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. I would not have a problem rolling out Damian Williams. So Aaron Jones, Damian Williams, Marshawn Lynch. Well, Aaron Jones will be... If we used Aaron Jones in 19 here in 20, we'd use Damian Williams and Marshawn Lynch, I would assume. Yes, yes. And if and if you know, we're wrong somehow, you know, miraculously, if we are wrong, then, <laughs> I got you. Yeah, I then, got you. then Aaron Jones would be my top pick there. But yeah, you're exactly right. Going to uh, wide receiver, we said Tyreek Hill was a lock for week 20. Wide receiver two, you could take your pick between uh, whoever's available between 
DK and Lockett. I also don't mind Hollywood Brown as a flex, as a DFS play. Uh, if you do think that, you know, the Chiefs, because uh, what I think is that the Ravens are going to need Hollywood Brown in this game. This is going to be a very explosive game with two huge offenses. The last time they played, uh, Hollywood Brown showed out. So you could look to him as an option. You know, are you looking any deeper at any of these positions? You feel pretty good about that that lineup there. No need to overthink it. I think I think we've we've got what we need there, and then, um, you know, moving on to the Super Bowl that would give us the Ravens and 49ers and we'd still have plenty of players left so I don't think there's any need to kind of overanalyze you just got to go with your guys and uh, I think we've we've got it nailed down assuming that some of these games go the way we think they're going to so week 21 for all the marbles here we're probably taking Jimmy G if Lamar Jackson's still there and you haven't used him yet by all means you you got to be plugging him in this week I actually like Lamar as a week 19 or a week 20 play just to make sure that you get those points. Uh, And then at running back, you are plugging in Mark Ingram. You're plugging in Raheem Mostert. If there happen to be any issues or changes in that backfield, you can plug in Matt Breda, Tevin Coleman, uh, depending on how things are going and and what things are looking like. I'm going to still assume Mostert there. And then a wide receiver, you're just taking, you know, whoever's left. So Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, Hollywood Brown. Uh, I'll probably already have used Debo Samuel uh, by the time we get to the Super Bowl, I think he's one to, to keep an eye on in all of these matchups. Um, I really like him in week 19 this week when they play Minnesota. But if he's still there, certainly plug him in. And then your tight end, you know, probably going to be Mark Andrews. We liked Kittle so much in all these other matchups that you're plugging in uh, him there, no question. And at flex, who are some of the other options that you like? Maybe some guys I didn't mention here on either of these rosters. I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot left. I, I guess maybe you could always throw out two 49ers running backs, uh, you know, use one in your flex or on the 49ers. Uh, Bourne has had several good games at receiver where he's caught some touchdowns and things like that. So at that point, you're kind of splitting hairs, just going with an upside guy, but um, like you said, at this point, you're going with whatever's left. You might end up having to take a guy who's a backup or whatever, but but hopefully you've timed it or uh, and kind of played your cards accordingly to where you can get all wide receiver ones or wide receiver twos in your lineup. What's nice about both backfields is if, for example, you did use Mark Ingram or you did use Raheem Mostert already, is both of them have a couple different options. You could throw in Gus Edwards. You could throw in Justice Hill if it looks like he's getting uh, a decent amount of playing time. You could also throw in Matt Brady or Tevin Coleman. So there's there's more options at running back there. Hopefully you still have Mark Ingram. You can plug him in. I think he's due for a big game in the Super Bowl if they make it there. Uh, anything else to add on these lineups? We have the Ravens as Super Bowl 54 champs. Alex, do you see anything that we missed? I think we got it covered, Steph. I think uh, we look good. Looking forward to the divisional weekend, and we'll see how things play out. Cannot wait. It's going to be a fun ride. And we'll be here every week going through it and breaking things down. Let's talk about some of the coaching turnover so far that we've seen. So we're going to just go through a couple teams here, talk about their coaching situation. Let's start with a team that already found their guy in the Redskins. They fired Jay Gruden about halfway through the season, brought on Ron Rivera. I think that's a great hire for him, uh, for, for the Redskins, I should say. Uh, Alex, what are your feelings on that? I almost feel like it's a just a... You know, sad story for Ron Rivera. I don't think he deserved any of this. <laughs> yeah, I think Rivera's a great coach. And I think this is a great hire for the Redskins. They bring in a coach who has a lot of respect throughout the league. He has a lot of respect from a lot of players. 
and he has a history of success. He's coached in a Super Bowl. He took the Panthers to a Super Bowl. He is a two-time coach of the year, and he's stepping into a situation where, yes, the Redskins are a train wreck, but you look at some of the pieces they have. He's got some young talent on offense, at least a little something to work with. He's got Haskins and Darius Geis and Terry McLaurin. So I think it's a great hire, kind of like a no-nonsense guy who, who's well um, respected everywhere. And that's the kind of guy that the Redskins really need. So I'd give this one an, an A- on the hire. I think they couldn't have done much better than that. Not surprised at all to see Rivera get a job almost instantly after getting let go from the Panthers. Let's talk about the Panthers here. They brought on Matt Rule, former coach of Baylor. They gave him a seven-year, $60 million deal. I think they way overpaid here. Alex, what's your take? (laughs) I do think they overpaid. I think maybe the reason that they had to is it might have taken some convincing to get him away from Baylor. Who knows? Um, but but yeah, I think it's not a bad hire. A lot of a lot of NFL teams. One of the trends we're seeing these days is is guys or, or teams just trying to pull these guys that are that are a little bit younger that that don't have um, any NFL coaching experience to kind of see like, hey, can they shake it up and can they make something happen? So so rules a guy who who kind of bounced around from a lot of smaller colleges. His only NFL experience is actually with the New York Giants in 2012 as an assistant offensive line coach. And then he coached at Temple, then at Baylor. Uh, and he was the Big 12 coach of the year this past year. So, so we know this guy can coach. We know he can get it done. Um, but sometimes we do see uh, some some trouble with with coaches making that jump from college to the pro. So it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what he can do. But but yeah, I think they overpaid, and and this one I'm not really I'm not really as sure about. So I give this one I'll give it a C plus. The way I see this one going is you know David Tepper fell in love with Matt Rule the second they met, and he said, hey, this is our guy. I read some reports that that were saying how you know these guys see eye to eye in terms of their philosophy. Uh, the one that Tepper wants, that he, that he wants to bring over uh, from the Steelers, which he used to be an owner of before buying the Panthers, which is you know old school discipline, old school work ethic with new school science and analytics brought into the game. And I think you know, one thing that I saw was Matt Rule wants to create a science or analytics division within that organization. I think that's something that Tepper loved and just went all in on. Um, certainly, they they wanted to make sure they got their guy. I know the Giants were absolutely shocked. Um, Rule called them up and said, hey, I just got offered seven years, 60 million from the Panthers. And they said, okay, well, <laughs> we can't match that. So um, I think Tepper really wanted to just make sure he got his guy. Yeah, I like Matt Rule. I hope it pays out, uh, pays off for them. Um, but certainly, I, I don't feel comfortable giving 60 million to a guy who hasn't coached much in the NFL and doesn't have a ton of experience there. But we'll see. It feels like everybody's trying to find that next uh, you know Sean McVay to plug into their organization. Yeah, and one more thing about Rule. I, I got his coaching record pulled up now, and it's actually quite impressive. When he took over in the NCAA, he took over at Temple in 2013. The first year with Temple, they were two and ten. So it shows you what kind of program he took over. He went from two and ten to six and six, and then he went ten and four. And then 10 and 3. So, really big improvement and turnaround there. And after that, he took over the Baylor job. First year with Baylor, 1 and 11. They were in the absolute pits of the Big 12. His second year, 7 and 6. So, some major improvement. And then this past year, 11 and 3, playing in the Sugar Bowl. So, this is a guy who's taken over teams that are 
down, they're out, they're, you know, their heads are hanging low, and he's been able to turn it around. So I think if the Panthers are able to give him a couple years, he could really turn that that team around and get them back to the playoff team that we knew them to be a couple years ago with Ron Rivera. Speaking of a younger coach, the Giants hired Joe Judge, the Patriots wide receiver and special teams coach, who's a 38-year-old guy under Belichick's system. I'm really interested to see how this plays out for the Giants. I feel like they're going all young guys with their organization. They got Daniel Jones taking over at QB, who is a rookie this year. So uh, hoping that he can have a breakout. Uh, And then you bring in a young coach to come alongside him. I I hope it's not a case where both guys are trying to learn at the same time. You kind of want one to mentor the other. Uh, But it feels kind of like a safe play here. Giants just wanted to get a guy signed, getting a Belichick coaching tree type of guy uh, just kind of made sense for them it was a safe play they know that they weren't going to get exposed over it because he's from that uh, you know New York fan base that is well versed uh, in you know who's on the Patriots who's on the Giants who's on the Jets so uh, I don't know to me it just feels like kind of like a safe pick maybe they reached a little bit but we'll see I, I think Joe Judge could could be very interesting yeah, the Giants have had the Patriots number over the past decade or so, so maybe they stole someone away from him here. I'm waiting for the day that like the Patriots water boy gets hired to be someone's coach because <laughs> they just want anyone that's inside of that building. But yeah, I think this is a fine hire. Joe Judge has coached under Nick Saban and under Bill Belichick, so he clearly has learned from the best. I don't mind it with a young rebuilding team. Daniel Jones at quarterback, Saquon Barkley at running back. The receivers are young with um, Sterling Shepard. And then we saw Darius Slayton have a a really big end to his season. So I don't mind picking up the young coach like you alluded to there. They're actually interviewing um, Jason Garrett, I heard, for their offensive coordinator. So it does extend that Belichick coaching tree. He'll add to uh, Mike Vrabel, Flores, Patricia, and now Judge. So, yeah, Belichick is is continuing to just crank out head coaches who always seem to play the Patriots pretty well. So it's going to be interesting as the Patriots dynasty kind of, uh, it seems like it is coming to an end. It's going to be interesting to see all of these Belichick coaches throughout the league and how they're able to size up against them. But I'll give this one a B, just a solid B. feel the same way. Let's talk about the dumpster fire that is slash was my Cleveland Browns. We fired Freddie Kitchens, and now it seems like we're just interviewing everyone and their mother to join this team. We're interviewing uh, the Chiefs offensive coordinator. We're interviewing Josh McDaniels. We interviewed uh, Rivera, I believe. We interviewed uh, Joe, uh, or I'm sorry, Matt Rule. You know, a lot of names thrown out there Urban Meyer, Lincoln Riley, a couple big names. Uh, that came out of nowhere. Mike McCarthy was brought up for a little bit. Seems like the Browns are just, you know, casting the net as wide as they possibly can. Last I read, they want to make a decision by this Saturday. So, you know, for the Browns, what do they need to bring on? I, I would love Josh McDaniels to come to that offense and, you know, bring the firepower that it needs. But Alex, what are your takes here? I've got a extremely hot take to throw out on today's oh. pod. I think, I don't think, I want to throw out a conspiracy theory of something that is going to potentially happen. Just think think this through with me. The Browns hired Josh McDaniels as their head coach. We all know about the bromance between, you, you guessed it, the GOAT, Tom Brady, 
and Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels is the coach of the Browns, and he convinces Tom Brady to come play for him in Cleveland for the last couple of years of his career. The Cleveland Browns are built to win now. They've got receiving weapons. They have an awesome running back. Their line is decent. They've got pieces on defense with Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward. They bring in Tom Brady to play under Josh McDaniels, and they go out and they compete for a couple seasons and let Baker Mayfield grow and learn under Tom Brady for the next year or two uh, until Brady retires. And then they hand it over to Baker, who will then be much more prepared to go out and not throw 20-plus interceptions um, from there on out. So, Steph, tell me, what do you think, and what would you think about that as a Browns fan? As a fan, that would be a literal dream. That's like <laughs> what every team thinks of, and it's funny because you know we think of all these landing spots for Brady, and a lot of the fan bases are kind of opposed to it. Like Colts fans, I don't really think want to bring Brady in too bad. I think Cowboys fans are kind of cool with with Dak, want to leave him as is. Kind of feels like the stage is set for Brady to come to the Browns. Um, but I think that's that's a pretty scorching take. I would love for it to happen. I remember when the Odell news broke. I called one of my other buddies who's a big Browns fan, and we were just screaming on the phone, jumping up and down. It was it was such an exciting moment. It's such a big signing. Um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, one thing that the Browns did say is, you know, they want to give their head coach some say in who they bring on as their GM, you know, letting John Dorsey go. So I feel like from day one, that GM head coach relationship is going to be a good one, kind of going the opposite way that we saw with with Dorsey and Kitchens. It just kind of seemed like Dorsey wanted his guy, uh, a guy that he could kind of boss around a little bit, uh, at least from an outsider perspective. So, I mean, I would love that would happen. Uh, I would feel bad for Baker. Maybe he gets used in a, a Taysom Hill type of role. I, I still want to see him out there on the field um, just because I'm a, I'm a Baker homer for some ungodly reason. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. I hope they don't make some, you know, dumb hire where they give some, uh, you know, completely unknown guy a prove it type of contract. Give them all the the weapons, right? You can give somebody a key to the Ferrari, uh, but doesn't mean they know how to drive it, right? Uh, did you just call the Browns a Ferrari? Hey, when you look at their team on paper, it's still okay. Fine. I was thinking more of like a 2004 Honda, but I mean, you got to <laughs> know how to drive that too. <laughs> Either way, my point stands. Let's talk about one more here. Everybody's favorite, the Dallas Cowboys, fired Jason Garrett after, I don't know why, dragging their feet for like three weeks and then announcing it on a Saturday during, or I'm sorry, a Sunday during the Eagles game. So it kind of seemed like a low-key kind of jab that Jerry Jones was taking at an NFC East rival. Then they bring on Mike McCarthy. I feel like this one could go either way. I feel like it could mean next to nothing for the Cowboys, or it could mean a complete reinvention of Mike McCarthy and he makes them great. I also feel like they could be just kind of what they have been, which is, you know, middle of the road, you know, out first round of the playoffs, just missing the playoffs. But Alex, what are your takes on that? I think it's a great hire. I, I really do. I I think it's a great hire. ESPN did a really cool piece on McCarthy and how he was kind of staying prepared to coach. Um while he was without a job and, and McCarthy's been dying to get back and coach a football team. And I think he did just get handed the keys to potentially the Ferrari here because the Cowboys have a great roster. They have a great O line. 
Zeke is one of the top backs in the league in his prime. Dak is playing great. They do have some questions at receiver with Amari Cooper as a free agent. Randall Cobb's a free agent, but Gallup looks awesome. The defense has some things to work on, but I think bringing in a veteran coach who has won before is perfect for this team. They need a winner in that organization, and Jason Garrett was not a winner. So I think the Cowboys are ready to contend right now this season. If I was in the NFC East, I would be definitely fearing the Cowboys heading into 2020. But first, I think the Cowboys definitely need to make sure they re-sign Dak Prescott to a nice long extension and if I were them I would actually re-sign Amari Cooper as well I know there's been some mixed reviews on whether or not they should bring him back but they traded that draft capital to bring in Cooper and make him their wide receiver one and I think that Cooper Gallup combo is a really strong one if they're able to lock that in for the next several seasons so if they're able to re-sign Dak and Amari Cooper, I think the Cowboys are, are are a real contender next year in the NFC. I give this one an A. Well, you got me kind of fired up here for Mike McCarthy. You know, I love the the vision in my head of, uh, you know, he's sitting in a library somewhere, uh, you know, looking at all these analytics models, trying to update his game, watching hours and hours of film in a you know dark dungeon basement somewhere, and then he comes out just reinvented as the new Mike McCarthy that's going to take the Cowboys uh, deep into the playoffs and potentially a Super Bowl. I love that narrative. We'll see if it happens. If I'm the Cowboys, I'd consider franchise tagging Amari Cooper. We've just seen him disappear. Uh, even back in his days at Oakland, we saw it even worse, where he would just go away for a few games and wouldn't really know what happened to him. No explanation. It's not like the the matchup is always the indicator. He would just disappear. So I say give him a franchise tag, maybe light a fire under him, make sure that he knows, hey, I, I need to go out and perform. This is a contract year for me. And then you re-sign him once he's, he's proved it one more time. Uh, but that's, that's just my take on it. Certainly, I think uh, the Cowboys fan base, Cowboys Nation, is fired up about this one. I think there's a lot of excitement there if if McCarthy gets all these guys riled up and really believing that they can win it all. Uh, I think it could happen. And with that said, thank you all so much for listening. Another episode of Double Move Sports in the books. Had an absolute blast preparing and, and reviewing for this one. I'm so hyped for this weekend. It's going to be a very fun uh, week 19 and a fun road through the playoffs before we sign off here Alex are there any parting words you want to leave us with yeah I just want to do a couple of quick shout outs a couple guys on Twitter that we've been interacting with quite frequently throughout the end of the fantasy season and then even on into the playoffs a little bit shout out to Todd Risley on Twitter shout out to Chris Wagner we appreciate you engaging with our tweets we've appreciated all the good conversation on there so shout out to those guys and it's going to be a great weekend of football go Ravens Big trust. We'll see you guys next time.